This is an ABC podcast. Coronacasters write the best letters, Norman. <laughs> Matt has written in with uh, some questions for us, and I love the fact that he has actually covered off two of Coronacast's three favourite topics you at the gym, the fact that we never mentioned South Australia, but unfortunately no poo references. So he wants to know how much you can bench press. Matt says, I think Super Swan is using the pandemic to get out of going to the gym. He's guessed my secret. Look, I can bench press. You'd be really impressed with this. A croissant in each hand. Really, <laughs> no problem. I'm working up to a bagel with smoked salmon in each hand, but that's going to take a while. Yeah, you, you're definitely bulking. <laughs> he says, I'm from South Australia, so you probably won't air this like everything else pandemic related about the state. Oh, yeah, but he also says we need to start. No, no, don't get out of this one. He says we actually need to start focusing on Tegan Taylor. How's the gym, Tegan, or are you soft like Swanee? I actually go to a very well-ventilated gym. I'm lucky, so I, have, I don't have the excuse that you have, Norman. My gym has too many windows for me to not go. Right, and no croissant bar. Let's move on. Yeah, I guess it's time to do Coronacast, the show all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor. And I'm physician and bagel Dr Norman Swan. (laughs) It's Friday the 18th of February 2022. So Norman, there's pretty much only one jurisdiction in Australia that has borders that are closed to vaccinated people at least, and that's Western Australia. We've talked about this before. But despite the fact that its borders are still closed, not as firmly closed as they were a month or so ago, but still closed, they've still got 100 plus cases coming through at the moment. What's going on there? And is there a point in keeping the borders closed when there's already local spread? As you say, they're not as closed as they were. People with legitimate family links and are coming back to live in WA Overseas students and others are being welcomed back into WA. And those now number, I think, since the 5th of February in the thousands. So a lot of people are coming in who couldn't come in before. So the borders are progressively becoming more porous. So, yeah, the numbers are going up. Casey Briggs' analysis has the running total, if you go back seven days, of you know, getting into the high 80s per day. And once you get beyond 50 cases a day locally, then contact tracing starts to fall apart. So I think that what you can say is that exponential growth is there. It's probably worse than people are saying because the testing rates are low and uh, a bit more fragmented than they have been in the past. So it's well and truly off in Western Australia, unfortunately. Well, you were tweeting the other day, not that I'm just stalking your Twitter feed like... um. Well, I am, whatever. Uh, And you said waiting has its risks for WA reopening. What do you mean by that? I mean, this is a conversation in WA at the moment, is that because WA, there is an advantage to WA having been slower to get vaccinated, and that is that you've got a population, even on two doses, that's reasonably freshly vaccinated. And then you've got the booster doses coming in. So you've got a population that's really getting very close to peak immunity, There are various estimates about that, but it's round about the next two or three weeks. It's hard to to know exactly when. So if you're going to open up WA, you should open up relatively soon, even though you've got exponential growth going on in the community and you're going to get up to quite high levels. But that's going to happen anyway. Then the question is, if you wait longer, end of March, beginning of April, immunity will be waning in Western Australia and the impact of opening up might be greater. So when the eastern seaboard and the central states and territories of Australia opened up, there was spikes in cases. It was pretty scary. We're still looking at the fallout from that, even though we're coming down on the other side of that pandemic curve. Is that just inevitably going to happen in WA? Yes, it will. 
it could be a much slower rise in WA because people are better immunized. Now remember, even with Omicron, um, in the early days after immunization, you've got okay protection. It's not as good as Delta, but you've got okay protection against infection. And you've certainly got very good protection against severe disease. So you're going to see less effect on the hospital system, I would imagine. And you've also got public health measures still in place in WA. So they should have a much slower rise than you saw in other states to be tested, but they should. And they have a higher percentage of people who've had a third dose than the other states had when they reopened or when they started seeing the case numbers taking off. Yeah, I haven't seen definitive data on that, but it looks that way. So there's case numbers on one hand, but there's also really the health system's capacity to deal with it. And Nicole's written in in response. She's not, I'm not the only person stalking your Twitter feed, Norman, saying your recent comments about WA needing to reopen has her concern that you're minimising the risk that uh, the north of WA faces when Omicron reaches places like the Pilbara and the Kimberley. They've got low vaccination rates and they've got really vulnerable populations. And she fears that the broader community doesn't understand that the let it rip scenario could be devastating there. So a couple of things. One is I wasn't suggesting that they should open up. I was just proposing the dilemma that they've got policy-wise, which is that they're reaching peak immunity. And if you don't open up at that point, then you're running a risk that you're, it's worse when you do end up opening. And I think that on Coronacast, we've been pretty critical of the let it rip scenario that you saw in New South Wales. And that was pretty devastating, where the Omicron epidemic curve uh, outstripped the uh, boosting rate so that you got a lot of vulnerable people affected. So there's no question that you've got to look after the vulnerable communities. And so the onus is really on WA to use the moment now to make sure that you've got optimal immunization in the Kimberley and Pilbara and elsewhere so that you're as well protected as possible and probably not lift public health and social measures while you're carefully opening up. So it would not be a let it rip scenario. Yeah, just just because you let the border down doesn't mean you let go of everything else all at the same time. And the other issue that uh, Nicole raises is about the capacity of the health system to cope. And WA does have a very concentrated focus on metropolitan Perth for its ICU beds. In many ways, Western Australia does not have a highly decentralised health system. A lot is focused on metropolitan Perth, where the ICU beds are. Um, It's not exclusively that they're there, but they're very concentrated in metropolitan Perth. And that's very difficult for Aboriginal communities, for people to be transported and so on. And also, you know, there are suggestions that there are fewer ICU beds per capita in Western Australia than in other states. So there are questions about hospital and medical system capacity. And I know that there are a lot of GPs quite concerned about what will happen when things open up. Because at the rate of um, 80, 90, 100 a day in WA at the moment with a milder virus than Delta, with reasonable levels of immunization, you're not going to see an immediate flow through to hospitalization. That's going to be a slow pickup as time goes on, but it will pick up. You mentioned public health and social measures before, and if we just quickly take the red eye back to Melbourne or Victoria, the Victorian government's saying that they're easing some of their restrictions that they've still got. You're not no longer going to need to have check-ins at shops and schools, but also they have flagged that there could be easing of some of the mask requirements for officers pretty soon, like maybe in the next week. Yeah, which would tie in, I think, with what New South Wales is planning. As as the um, epidemic curve eases off, then you can start thinking about relaxing the restrictions. But as you relax the restrictions, you are risking a surge if you do it too early. We are going to go into a lull. 
So you've got to have some things in place in some critical environments. Could be rapid antigen testing a couple of times a week in some uh, critical workplaces. We still haven't really devoted the attention in offices and schools. Well, schools in Victoria are probably the most advanced in terms of thinking about ventilation, but in other states, probably not. And we've kind of forgotten about that moving forward. We've really got to pay a lot of attention to ventilation moving forward. So these requirements are probably going to have to come off at some point. And going back to our conversation the other day about the four scenarios for the future, our ability to control whatever comes next is our willingness to put masks back on. And remember, an easing of mask requirements does not necessarily mean that you have to stop wearing a mask. If you're concerned about protecting yourself as well as others, you're free to wear an N95. And the more people who wear an N95, the better, even if the legal requirements have been taken off. I think there's going to be heaps of people out there who are stoked to let go of some of those restrictions and move back into something that feels a bit more natural to them. But for so many people, it's a source of real stress because it's it's worrying. They're worried about the virus. And so uh, we're actually going on Monday, going to get a psychologist on to talk about how to manage pandemic anxiety because two years in, a lot of us are still really struggling with it. Yeah. And it's also depression as well. And when you get the combination of the two, psychologists often call it psychological distress. So we've got Francis K. Lampkin from the University of Newcastle on And that will prove, I think, to be very useful for a lot of people. And if you haven't already subscribed, you can subscribe uh, wherever you get your podcasts to listen to Monday's episode. That's pretty much it for today. I should have said at the top of this episode, Norman, that there is a fourth thing that we love to do on CoronaCast, and that is promise Quickfire Friday and never deliver. No, sometimes we deliver. Let's be fair to ourselves. But uh, we'll get to Quickfire Friday next Wednesday, maybe, or maybe even next Friday. Who knows? Or maybe never at all. (laughs) We'll see you next time. See ya. See ya.